0: Hello, it's howard brown it's the shining brightly show oh my god got an amazing show and guest for you here i have the famous jeff palver with me jeff how you doing
1: i'm doing well how are you
0: i'm doing great i've been traveling and i, I know you've been traveling and i'm just so glad that we could sit down here and, and chop it up for a little bit i um uh, for, for those of the you don't know that um I, as a Silicon Valley entrepreneur and, and a, just an entrepreneur from Babson College, the number one school for entrepreneurship, I, I've been following Jeff for a very, very long time. And a few years ago into COVID, um, a good friend, well, will shout out to Eugene Barles, he introduced me to a group called Zula. We're going to talk about what that is. And I got to meet Jeff, and now I get to hang out with him almost once a week um, on Tuesday nights. And it's just uh, really great to be, get to know you. Um, it's just amazing. So I know you're about to go on a big trip. We're going to talk about that, but let me just give you a quick uh, a quick intro because you're a humble guy. I know you don't even want this. You're just Jeff. But to me, you're Jeff. You know, tech industry icon, pioneer of the voice over the Internet Protocol, advocate for internet freedoms. And in the late '90s, you saw the potential for uh, for VoIP or voice over IP to revolution a way that we communicate. And you founded a company called Vonage. And it was one of the first voice over uh, you know, service providers. I remember, do, 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 Anyways, one of the things though, is that you faced uh, some real resistance from traditional uh, you know, telephone companies And um, I I have to tell you, this is you have a Wikipedia page and you have the pulver order where you petitioned, uh, you know, the Federal Communications Commission. And uh, they issued that order to assure that those services uh, would not be uh, regulated like the phone companies because it was it was the new horizon. And that's just amazing. That's that's visionary and it's legendary, Jeff. So so that. but um, your career, more than 25 years, uh, multiple startups. Uh, in the telecom tel, telcom and blockchain industries and in the communications industry. I mean, uh, I mean, you speak all over the place and you support, uh, support startups and innovation globally. So I love that. The other thing that I love about you, Jeff, is that you are like one of the most humble guys I know. You, uh, you care about uh, people and lifting people up and helping others. Uh, you have a love for music and um, you are a really nice friend. And I just want to tell you that I've appreciated us getting to know each other. So fill in the blank, say what you want to say, uh, if you want to do that, and then share something, one of your passions, because the first time I ever met you, you didn't even say, hi, Howard, how are you? You said, what's your passion?
1: <laughs> well, thank you. I'm gra- grateful to be here. And really, it's uh, uh it's an honor. So so to, to get on the VoIP stuff, just, just to be clear, I... Uh, did not invent voice over IP, but I was an early user of it uh, as a hobbyist because uh, I've been a ham operator most of my adult life, fact like my entire adult life. I, uh, I saw of great value in speaking on the internet as early as 1994. And uh, when I had the opportunities to start playing in early 95, I, I kind of, I knew I saw the future. And so the work that I ended up doing helped promote and take something from the class of being a hobby hobbyist, quote, hobbyist, to being uh, the technology which the world depends upon to deliver messages across the internet reliably uh, at scale. Uh, And so with that, and that did not happen overnight, that happened over time. Um, My passion, you know, so one fundamental passion I have is to communicate, to connect, to, to help bring people together, to create a comfortable, safe place for all of us to be who we are, Because I find it very uncomfortable when I'm in a traditional networking event and and I have to describe myself in five words. I I always found that to be both uh, humbling, humiliating sometimes, and just a tongue twister. And particularly when you're doing it, when you're not an architect, when you're not an attorney, when you're not an accountant, when you're not a one word, you know, I'm not a veterinarian. No, I'm not. I'm not a doctor. I am me. And then you define me and you start going out more than five words while I tell everyone who has a product or service to sell on the internet, five words or less as a person, five words doesn't do it. But what is your passion? That's four words, right? Uh, I find that when I'm bringing people together and I ask people to connect on passion, it's a liberating experience. And it's, it's a way to help bring a world, a world together, a room together. And I've, I've been hosting uh, I call them networking breakfast events since uh, 2006. In fact, from 2006 to 2008, I took it upon myself to travel the world. I went uh, I went to 18 different cities. I hosted 25 breakfasts from Vancouver, Washington to Jerusalem. And at all of these events, I would bring together people. Some of them were neighbors, but they didn't know each other. and I found found by focusing on what people's passions are, it opens up the door to have a conversation, to, to create a place where we can be ourselves, and just for a little while, um, focus on connecting ourselves as people. And so so I'm very passionate about the, the ability to connect, to bring folks together, and it's 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 magic there. You know, the, the Wikipedia stuff, by the way, I happen to be friends with Jimmy Wales, and... Um, Years ago, Jimmy and I were speaking at a at an internet conference in in Montreal, and uh, he was the keynote speaker that year. I was just one of the guests. This had to be like in two thousand, I don't know, 10, 12, eleven or twelve. And it was a fine. I mean, Jimmy's a wonderful speaker, and uh, I, I was talking about um, back, the the Twitter and the back channel and how it created a world for people to connect in ways which we never expected. And at the end of the conference, like we're leaving, I'm about to leave, I see Jimmy, we're out. We're, we didn't leave the, the, the conference center, but we're out in front. I couldn't help but there were these three women who every time Jimmy and I were moving, they were moving too, until I realized they were trying to take a picture. So so I got together with Jimmy and then I realized they didn't wanna take a picture with me in it. Oh. They were trying to get a picture of Jimmy. And, and I asked them, I said, so what's up with this? And they looked at me and they said, Wikipedia, Vonage? Wikipedia is so much cooler, and, like, <laughs> no. and it's like it's okay, um, it's all good. I mean, I, I appreciate you know Wikipedia as a service, a Wikipedia as an information source, and you know, it's uh, Wikipedia pages are maintained by are started by third parties. You know, there are a whole bunch of rules and etiquette about how to maintain it. Should you update your own? But I, I just checked while you were talking, and I see that uh, my my Wikipedia page is there's an English there's an English version. There's also a uh, uh, there's there's Persian, I believe it's uh, a Norwegian, and in Hebrew. Uh, and yeah. Trust me, each of the each of the versions of me are very different. They have photos from different times of my life, and it, you know it's it's difficult when you're when when you're misunderstood. You know when you when you do something that you're passionate about, and people make summations and make assumptions, and it's like sometimes you want to correct, and other times like it's okay. However, you see me is the way I'm meant to be seen, and you know, with Zula, which is something which um, I did start officially during the pandemic, but it's an extension of the networking breakfasts. It's just, what do you do? Like, I was hosting these breakfasts in Tel Aviv and New York on a regular basis, and then one day there was no breakfasts. Yet the, the, the desire to bring people together was still there, and I wanted to do it, you know, to anyone who wanted to join us. And so going online and bringing a group of people together who otherwise wouldn't know each other, perhaps, and, and do it in a way where, at, and, and during the pandemic, a lot of friends of mine lost their job, at least temporarily, or they were they were in transition. So to have a typical networking event where you um, introduce yourself, say what you do for a living and, and go on, it's like, no, 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 that won't work here because I don't want to embarrass people that don't have jobs. So I started Zula by saying, uh, state your name, where you're from, and something you're passionate about outside the work you do. And that was a wonderful icebreaker, and I and I continue that in the breakfast I host these days, uh, as a way to break that ice and also to set the rules that you know when we get together online that we need to respect each other, that it's literally a safe space, that we're not a debate club, we're here to hear each other, we don't have to agree, we don't even have to talk, we're here to listen and to, to connect. And four words that I discovered young, as a young ham radio operator: listen, connect, share, and engage when you bring those words together uh you get to have meaningful conversations uh as long as you're open to that stuff and so so for me you know amateur radio has been my lifeline it's been as a young person it was how i found friends it was how i connected to the world and it gave me a foreshadowing of something i would be doing not even appreciating or understanding it i mean growing up in new york and watching television at night, MASH was a fun show to watch. And I cannot really say that Radar O'Reilly is a hero of mine, but on the MASH television show, he was the person who was connecting the radio and doing these phone patches for the folks in in Korea to talk to loved ones overseas. He was arranging all that. And, and, And in some ways, if you were sitting in Michigan or you're sitting in Puerto Rico and you wanted to talk to family in New York City, I would be the person volunteering my parents' phone service, because it wasn't free even back back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I would do phone patches to connect people just because I thought I was providing a public service. And the the big innovation that I had was in 1995, seeing the opportunity to cross-connect on the Internet, my computer and a telephone. So in in October 95, I created the very first telephone network that ran on the Internet called Free World Dial-Up. It was free. It connected the world and it ran on dial-up. And it had no quality of service. It had none of the technical stuff like echo cancellation, jitter buffer, but it was a proof of concept. And that became a foreshadowing for what the future would be. And the crazy part was, wasn't that, that we were successful, that we went viral in an internet of 16 million people. It's in March of 1996, 300 phone companies got together and went to that Federal Communications Commission and asked for the sale and use of internet telephony telefo- software to be banned in America and the makers to be regulated as phone companies. And everyone's coming to me on my mailing list. Well, what was I gonna do about it? It was like me, I worked on Wall Street. I, I did—I had no standing in Washington. I was not a lobbyist, I, I i was a ham operator. But for the first time in the history of lobbying in Washington, out from the ether came this trade association known as the Voice on the Net Coalition, the VON Coalition, because in 1995, I coined the term Vaughn to stand for Voice on the Net and Video on the Net. And I'm very happy to say that the petition that's known as the Act Petition, never was acted on. Yes. And the threat disappeared. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, I was fired from my day job on, on Wall Street in summer of, of 96. And on September 10th and 11th, 96, I ended up hosting the very first conference in North America about the future of voice and video on the internet. That, that event was called The Talking Net. And then in April 97, I started running something called Vaughn. And that Eased this way into becoming the trade show uh, for the voice over IP industry, and it was really good that I had no history in running conferences, because I created a culture from myself. I built an event I built the kind of events that I wanted to attend right. where I, we, it was just as important to talk to people in the hallway as much as it was to be in the sessions, and it was um, a learning experience, and it was fun and that that group that that event series created a lot of wealth creation. I I believe uh, over 120 companies that exhibited with us were acquired by seven other companies during the 11 years of on, and over 35 companies went public. I cannot tell you how many companies got funded, uh, how many jobs were there, but it was many, many, many. And I was in sort of like running deal central. And then from an engineering perspective, a bunch of companies would have uh, competing protocols in those days but what they came to at Vaughan is they found harmonization so that you would come from one company. You come from Intel, someone comes from Cisco, someone comes from Microsoft. And what they actually found ways is to work together. We call it co-opetition, the sure. idea that you have cooperation amongst competitors to help drive an industry forward. And so that happened at Vaughan, behind the scenes, and it was really a, a wonderful place to be. And the, the most important part I discovered early on at Vaughan is to take having fun seriously. So for for people that are fans of alternative rock bands of the 90s, I was very fortunate to be in a position where I could take some of the profits from my bottom line and reinvest it into our conference party. So we we were not Salesforce.com. You can't expect, you know, we were not a super large conference. We were growing the first event had 224 people at our peak. We had somewhere between five and six thousand people. Someone says seven thousand. I don't think we ever got that big, but we're twice a year in the U.S., once a year in Europe, and then we franchised it a bit. And, but I would have everyone from, uh, I don't know, from Liz Fair to the Google Dolls, to uh, Counting Crows, my favorite show in 2006, Huey Lewis in the News, um, uh, Third Eye Blind, uh, Smash Mouth, uh, and, and Mustang Sally, if anyone ever saw the movie, The Commitments that came out in 91, Mustang Sally became our theme song. And there's a hardcore level of fun. And there's a, there's a cover band that still performs in Kirkland, Washington called The Hurting Cats. Hurdy Cats, in my opinion, is one of the top cover bands in America, if not the world. And I've they've played many a show with us, and they uh, they traveled the world with us playing cover songs, mostly uh, '70s and '80s British and American rock. Although over the years, they just learned a lot more music, and it was a fun element. It's like Vaughn was the the high school reunion I wanted to go to. Uh, uh, it, it was a place where you got to enjoy yourself, and 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 I found that if you could have fun, true fun help people do business and, and share some ideas that's magical. And so, so for me, it was just, you know, it's a, it was a, an evolutionary type of experience. And I'm very happy to say that earlier this year, I had this vision to bring Vaughn back, to bring the band back together. And so I went, uh, it's Vaughn was together for 11 years, 15 year hiatus. And then in uh, April of this year, I launched Vaughn Evolution. Because a lot of the same ingredients that existed in 96 are now existing today in 2023. And so a lot of it's, it's the words fear, greed, and disruption. Different fear, different greed, different disruption, but it's there. And so um, I, I launched an event series, not looking at just telecom, but looking at what happens at the intersection of telecom and AI and telecom and um uh 6g we'll call it 6g and blockchain and, and and space and all this other stuff that's just happening so we're getting together the folks who care about the future who have a vested interest in where things are going so that's that's my evolution and um the pulver order which you mentioned briefly i just want to just provide a little background so in 96 sure. when i'm just getting started out of the blue we get blindsided by these 300 phone companies that go to the fcc uh in 2002 In America, we came out of the dot com crash, we came out of the, started to come out of the effects of 9 11, came out of the telecom crash, which was another crash. And in the telecom world, there was a lot of talk about people paying for Wi Fi. Now, these days, it may seem obvious that you're in a hotel lobby, the lights are on, you're not necessarily paying for it, maybe incrementally through the food you buy. But, and there's Wi-Fi, usually it's free. Now, back in 2002, I thought it should be free too. I was in the major minority, but there was a lots of talk about WiMAX and this and that, all these different technologies. My biggest fear is that the phone companies were not our friends, that they wanted to take broadband as their future, and they wanted to lock it down so that it's a greenfield opportunity that only they would have access to. So as a preemptive strike, I went to my friends who were attorneys who helped make the Von Coalition happen and said, hey guys, is it possible that we could ask the FCC for a, a proactive ruling that voice communication that originates on the internet, that doesn't touch or deal with that legacy phone network for it to be deemed not telecom? And uh, I would say, well, you could ask for anything you want. It doesn't mean that anything will be granted, but in about a year's time, uh, we filed the paperwork of February 5th, uh, 2003, February 12th, 2004, uh, Michael Powell, who was chairman of the FCC, his dad was Colin Powell, uh, he issued something called the pulver order. And that's why today, for the last 19 and a half years, you know, if you know of anyone, if you ever spoke to anybody using iMessage or, or FaceTime, or for that matter, WhatsApp, Messenger, uh, Skype, uh, if it's voice to voice, any Telegram, and you haven't paid for it, or Zoom, you're welcome. Because I cannot imagine the pandemic where you have, people would have had to pay for if they were working from home, staying from home, studying from home, having to pay for all those sessions. So we help kind of like yeah. open up a greenfield opportunity for people around the world to communicate, which is why if someone asks me what I do for a living, and I'm at a cocktail party, I tell them, well, what I'm doing right now is interesting, but what, I, I should, what I'm known for is helping to change the way the world communicates. Yeah. And they don't like, get it immediately, then I just ask them the question about speaking on the internet, and depending upon their age, they almost always say thank you. But but some people who are young or who are like in their teens think that's the way it's always been. Right. So it's like, it's like we've always had TV, we always had radio, and we always had free calling on the internet. They didn't realize there was a time when um, long distance existed. So. Jeff, we were we grew up with the pong ball, pong, black and white. Yeah, pong, absolutely. With Atari, that was our first video games.
0: Pong, right? You know, I know it. I want to say that. um, So one, thank you because uh, that that's one. It's it's just incredible the that you know how that also came together and then the protection that you've now offered and the lasting value. It's it's really incredible uh, to be able to do that coming off of Wall Street and then. Uh, putting on these conferences and gathering the people and and sprouting and planting the seeds and watching that industry grow. Um I also want to make mention uh, the word zula, and if 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 I'm correct, does that mean brilliance? what What does Zula mean?
1: Um well, Zula means many things to be now. It means uh, but in Aramaic, it's a comfortable place to be. So okay. if, in israel, if if we were in the desert and you saw someone that had uh, four poles and and uh, and a covering, you'd say that that's their Zula. And so okay. so you people would go into a Zula to stay out of the heat. Sometimes you offer desert tea in the Zula. Uh, sometimes you could just sleep in someone's Zula. Uh, and, and it's. Uh, I actually had a st- startup uh, up in 2011 with my friend Jacob near David called Zula because I, I saw the uh, future of, uh, of, uh, of messaging on the internet for business. I saw a world where we would have stream-based communication about 18 months before Slack, and that's what Zula was. It was sort of like WhatsApp for business, and we met. We were only our biggest mistake really was just not having a fast enough and agile enough dev team. Sorry, guys, and so we didn't uh, um, go as fast iterating, but we we were we were there before Slack. Seriously, were um, and because I, I saw I saw that future of stream-based communication, and we wanted people to build Zula's. For their companies, for their wow. projects, for their conferences. And but the word, the 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 sediment of Zula is something which I'm really near and dear to my heart. So I decided let's reuse the word Zula for for a hosting for our, a place.
0: Yeah, I love it. No, I, I I get it. So so Jeff, take me uh, you know, aside from business. One of the things that I followed you on is that you have a passion of bringing musicians together. Speak to that a little bit about your studios and and Jeff's place and 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 why that that seems. I don't know if that's an offspring of ham radio, but whatever it is, you you bring bring musicians around the world
1: together. There's a lot of intermixture. You know, music is numbers. Music is math, right? If you if you study music, you understand the mathematics of music. You'd find the harmonies. You'd find the harmonics. It's all mathematical. The same way that you know, we, there's a certain uh, spectrum that we could vi- visually see. There's an audible spectrum we could listen to. If you've ever looked at music theory or didn't know that, but it's all it's all math. And sometimes when you when you play music, you could see the numbers. Uh, some people do anyway. And so, I, I've been involved in music a really long time. Um, and uh, when I was a teenager, I was a DJ. I was pretty darn good at being a DJ in, of 80s music back then. In fact, uh, when I was in high school, I had three businesses. I had a DJ production company. I was doing software consulting on data journal community computers. And I had a software publishing company all in, before I went to college. And um, and I had this passion to, to for music and it, had, it showed its way in different forms. Uh, when I was able to afford it back when vinyl was in its heyday, I was very fortunate I started the one of the first Internet rock radio stations that I ran out of my office, I mean I was very, I was able to hire people competitively. DJs program directors from Long Island radio stations from rocks from band stations, I used to listen to LIR and BAB they worked up. Pulver Radio. And uh, we, we were the only non, non-commercial non radio station to have, have something called Selector, which in radio was pretty big because it was really expensive. But we did that because it was for programming the music. And I think our library literally had over 200,000 songs that I paid for. Um, so that's on the programming side. The, the joke behind Pulver Radio was if wherever I at least wherever I traveled to the world, there'll be at least one radio station playing music that I liked. But with Pulver Radio, I also had a record label called Rev Up Records. Oh, it wow. started off being Stepping Stone Records because I wanted to be someone's stepping stone, but then I had a name issue there. So so Rev Up is Pulver Backwards Without the L. And uh, I I had a really a love in my heart to provide someone their big break. So it's just like investing in startups, investing in bands and 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 working with people who have that music talent and to give them a a, a chance to be seen and be heard. So I did, I did, I did that too. And then, come the pandemic, um, I was missing out on live music. I was missing out on a place to uh, to hear music just just in a coffee house setting. Uh, I'm a fan of uh, the the coffee house channel on Sirius Radio. And um, right before the pandemic, I had been in uh, in uh, in Dublin. I visited Grafton Street. I had seen some buskers live. And so I decided back in the summer of 2020 to create Grafton Street TV, find a place where I could find some of the buskers who I was watching on YouTube, and give them a chance to have an audience in, in a world where we could all be online together and to create an intimate experience. And so, as the story went, as we as I as I iterated away from Grafton Street TV, I wanted to create a personal event, a place, something that was, a space that was personal and. I, we found, I, Lauren and I were, my sister Lauren and I were searching and looking for names, we found Mike's place in Chicago. Ultimately, we changed Mike's place to Jeff's place. And Jeff's place became a place on Thursdays where we had artists, in fact, and since we launched, we've had over 170 something artists join us from the UK, from Ireland, from uh, uh, U.S. and Canada, and a mixture of other countries where we they would do sets. Uh, typically, it's four songs we didn't know this in the beginning but ultimately now it's we do songwriters in the round where in the course of a couple of hours uh typically four artists would play four songs talk not always completed songs but talk about um, how they their influences or story behind their music uh and they would talk with each other we've through jeff's place there's been a lot of collaboration a lot of uh, a lot of good work has been done we've done live shows for charity um, on, on, any typical Thursday, you could hear, a, uh, a musician playing their set or doing a, doing a songwriters in the round or something else. And, um, recently during 2023 and the end of 2022, I started documenting some of the artists from Jeff's place and, um, working on an untitled movie but it's the theme of it is there's a place in fact that might be the name of it because during during the pandemic i provided a place a home for people to be seen to be heard and a a close friend of ours who's one of the artists uh pointed out to me that in the history of folk music in america in the 60s three uh pub owners in greenwich village opened up their places for for folk music and that's why people from all over the world travel to greenwich village of all places in new york to be seen and to be heard and he drew a corollary between the folk music renaissance in the village in the 60s and what i accidentally did with jeff's place during the pandemic and so the documentary is to document the places now where people are performing and to share the stories of the artists um as, as who they are and what they and what and what their stories are so we've uh we've i've had sessions in nashville and in ireland and it's just been a wonderful chance to get to meet the people uh in the pandemic the place people performed was literally their bedrooms their living rooms and their studios that's right and, and now it's nice to see people are playing out so we don't have as many live shows as we want because people are actually getting audiences again which is a great thing yes and uh but but Jeff's place for me is a place for, for the artists and you know we're i not a you know if, if uh you know just like and I've run in so many conferences besides Vaughn I, I cannot tell you how many different events I've hosted but a lot of times I'm the first play, I'm the first event that somebody speaks publicly for the first time. Right. And, and I enjoy the honor of, of, of helping to calm someone's nerves down, or at least give them a chance to be seen, to be heard. We've done that also for musicians where they've never played live before, but they're live at Jeff's place and it's it's all good. It's, a you know, we, there, again, no judgment. Uh, I always tell the people that, at least those I see on stage, that no one, you're not going to mess up. No one knows what you're going to say. Be, speak your truth and you're good and okay. just relax and enjoy the moment. And, you know, with the 140 conferences that I did, which helped, uh, uh, put a lot of people on the, on the spotlight, uh, both celebrities and non-celebrities. Uh, it was just a, a fun chance. And so, so many famous people were actually pretty nervous before they talk. And sure. it was always the same thing, but they're always great after they talk. So I sometimes had to tell people, imagine, imagine you, you just spoke and the elation that you had now take that into your talk.
0: Yeah, but the fact is you give them a stage and and a platform unconditionally to yes. share their message, share their creativity, share their passion. That's that's the beauty of it. Now, Jeff, where uh, I wanted to just make sure I didn't miss this. You're about to jump on an airplane and go to Rwanda. Tell my audience, why are you going to Rwanda?
1: Well, you know, maybe because at one point I thought it sounded like the location of a of a marvel a movie. Uh <laughs> wakanda uh and so i tell people to rwanda forever uh truthfully it it is also a place where i think we can make change you know when i look at the next billion people coming onto the internet i believe most most likely come from africa and uh, the nice thing about africa on the positive side there's no infrastructure a legacy so if we want to see innovation and opportunity africa's where it's at a friend of mine is running a conference uh, a cyber tech conference in africa And I'm tagging along and bringing Vine Evolution to Africa to have an impact and hopefully influence more than one person to pursue communications as a career and to understand that one person can make a difference. And that um, my hope is to show up, be present, share my story and encourage other people to have a story of their own to share.
0: Well, it's it's so awesome uh, what you're doing and I wish you safe travels there. This is the time of the show. I'm going to put on these uh, for those listening, my shining brightly white gold, sparkling glasses and put you in the spotlight, Jeff, I want you to tell people how they should get a hold of you. Um, and then I want you to, you know, give me, give me the last word and then kick it over to me to, to close out.
1: Oh, well, if someone would like to reach, reach me, uh, email, if you use something called email, it's Jeff at pulver.com That's usually the best way. Uh, if you want to back channel to me, if you use something called Instagram or threads, you could find me at, at Jeff Kenny Pulver, J E F F K E N I P U L V E R. And the thing is the events that i'm doing uh you'll if you go to pulver.com you will see a eh, more or less a schedule of what's happening uh if you happen to be coming through new york city uh drop by one of our breakfasts you'll be seen you'll be heard there's a chance to connect uh if you happen to have a passion about the future of communications uh and you're interested in coming to vine evolution the next one assuming you're not coming to with me meeting me in rwanda uh if you're coming to if you want to come to new york in november if you truly are passionate, it's not whether you can afford the conference or not. If you want to come, if you can get to New York and you want to be there, drop me a line at at jeff, pulver.com Tell me why you want to come, and I'll consider giving you a, a seat thanks to Shining Brightly so you could shine too. Ooh, I like that. That's awesome. So, Jeff,
0: thank you for that. And also, I mean, you have your website, certainly, and LinkedIn. You're, you're findable, I for sure. I know yes. that. So that's awesome. Well, listen, this has been just an absolute pleasure uh, to have you kind of in quick mode, you know, talk. And I know you don't like talking about yourself, but to give a perspective of the impact that you've had and um, how to actually lift others up. And and the main theme of my book is lift yourself up and then go lift others up and then go lift your communities up. And so uh, you can find me at shiningbrightly.com, the speaking, the book, the podcast, and my advocacy. And if we shine brightly, Jeff, like we've just done a little bit for ourselves, for others and for our communities, the world will be a better place. Thank you. I'm honored to be your friend. And thanks for coming on and sharing a little bit. Today. I'm, I'm honored
1: to be here. Thank you for all the amazing work that you do, Howard. It is, a, it is a true honor to be here.
0: Your passion is contagious and and uh, we'll, we'll keep uh, shining our lights together. So thank Absolutely.
1: you. Absolutely. Thank God. you.
0: Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shining Brightly with me, Howard Brown. Come interact with me at shiningbrightly.com. And remember, keep on shining.